TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. Julian Assange can be extradited to the US. A ruling by Britain's Court of Appeal. Chris Hedges interviews Joe Loria. Chris Hedges is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and author. He was a foreign correspondent for 15 years for the New York Times. Joe Loria is editor-in-chief of Consortium News and a former UN correspondent. On the day of the court ruling against Assange, December 10, 2021, Chris Hedges invited Joe Loria on the show he is hosting, On Contact, on RT America. Allowing the extradition of Assange, an Australian national, to be tried in the U.S. for violating the Espionage Act of 1917 raised protests around the world. If convicted, Assange faces 175 years in prison, and journalists everywhere fear the loss of free speech and freedom of the press. Julian Assange founded WikiLeaks in 2006. The website came to international attention in 2010 when it published a series of documents and films provided by U.S. Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning. These leaks included the Baghdad airstrike collateral murder video and the Afghanistan war logs all with evidence of U.S. war crimes. In November 2010, Sweden issued an international arrest warrant for Assange over allegations of sexual misconduct. Assange, who was living in England, said the allegations were a pretext for his extradition from Sweden to the U.S. He took refuge in the embassy of Ecuador in London in June 2012. Swedish prosecutors dropped their investigation in 2019. On April 11, 2019, Assange's asylum was withdrawn. The police were invited into the Ecuadorian embassy, and he was arrested and sentenced to 50 weeks in prison for breaching bail. On January 4, 2021, District Judge Vanessa Baretzer ruled against the United States' request to extradite Assange from Britain and stated that doing so would be oppressive given his mental health after 11 years of confinement with the last two and a half in the high-security prison of Belmarsh. However, on December 10, 2021, Britain's Court of Appeal ruled that Assange can be extradited to the U.S. to face the charges. And here's Chris Hedges discussing this latest development with Joe Loria. Today we discuss Friday's ruling to allow the extradition of Julian Assange to go forward with Editor-in-Chief of Consortium News, Joe Loria. On Friday, the British High Court in London overturned an earlier lower court decision blocking the extradition of Julian Assange to the United States. The ruling sends the case back to the magistrate's court with instructions to allow the extradition to be approved or denied by the British Secretary of State for Justice. 
The ruling, which included a decision to continue to hold Assange in a high-security prison, is a severe blow to the WikiLeaks co-founder's efforts to prevent his extradition to face charges under the Espionage Act in the United States. The extradition is now in the hands of the Secretary of State for Justice unless Assange's lawyers, as expected, file an appeal within two weeks to the UK Supreme Court. District Court Judge Vanessa Baretzer ruled in January that Assange could not be extradited because of inhumane conditions in U.S. prisons that would make Assange, who suffers from physical and mental health issues, a suicide risk. The United States, in appealing the decision, gave assurances that Assange would receive adequate medical and psychological care and would not be subject to measures commonly used in high-profile cases such as prolonged isolation and special administrative measures known as SAMs, which impose draconian rules limiting any communication and allows the government to monitor meetings with attorneys in violation of attorney-client privilege. The U.S. attempt to extradite Assange has been widely condemned by civil liberty organizations, including Amnesty International, Reporters Without Borders, the International Federation of Journalists, the American Civil Liberties Union, and Human Rights Watch, which have called it an existential threat to press freedom. If extradited to the United States, Assange, who oversaw WikiLeaks publications of documents and videos that exposed U.S war crimes, corruption, lies, and a range of other illegal and nefarious activities faces a 175-year prison sentence. Joining me to discuss Friday's ruling and its implications is Joe Loria, the editor-in-chief of Consortium News. So we were both uh, watching uh, via video link uh, the reading of this ruling. I'm just going to begin at the very end, and then I want to go through it uh, with you, uh, Joe. It said the two uh, panels of judges rejected grounds one and three and four, but allowed appeal on grounds two and five, and essentially green-lighted uh, this extradition. We have uh, a ruling on January 4th by the district court judge, Baretzer, who, uh, this is a quote from her ruling, his mental condition is such that it would be oppressive to extradite him. Let's just talk about that ruling and then, of course, the challenge that the uh, United States, the Biden administration, has made uh, to appeal her decision not to extradite Julian, not on the charges, but on the U.S. prison conditions and on his own mental health. Well, there were two pillars to her decision. One was indeed his mental condition, which two defense experts said would lead him to commit suicide, even if he just learned that he'd be extradited before he even left the UK. And the other part of her decision, the other pillar were the conditions of US prisons, in particular, as you mentioned, the SAMs, uh, ADX, Florence and Colorado, and also to be put in SAMs in ADC, Alexander Detention Center, pre-trial. What the high court judges did today was knock just one of those pillars out. And this whole case, her whole decision collapsed. And the pillar that they destroyed were the, based on the U.S. assurances that he would not be put in those special administrative measures. He would not be sent to ADX Florence, Colorado. That was enough for the high court 
judges. They even say at one point in this 27-page ruling that uh, they don't even have to bother going through the rest of the case because this was enough, this is sufficient for them to overturn Baretz's decision and send it back to the court with the instructions to have the Secretary of State decide whether to extradite him or not. They implicitly, explicitly believe the United States when they promised that they wouldn't do these things to Julian Assange. They call them a solemn undertaking between two governments in a diplomatic note. Um, the judgment says there's no reason why this court should not accept the assurances as meaning what they say. There's no basis for assuming that the USA has not given the assurances in good faith. Of course, Assange's lawyers in the high court hearing at the end of October argued strenuously that these assurances could not be trusted. Amnesty International called them inherently unreliable, for example. And there's a history of the U.S. not keeping these promises, despite James Lewis, the British prosecutor for the U.S., saying the U.S. has never, ever broken a diplomatic promise like that in its entire history, which, of course, raised plenty of eyebrows around the world. The other issue that the U.S., that Assange had brought up was the, of the timing. Should these assurances have been given during the extradition hearing, which ended in the end of September 2020, could they be allowed to be put in afterward? Were they new evidence or not? High Court ruled it was not new evidence. It could be put in at any time. They cited law. They did not challenge Baraitz's findings on the mental health. They basically uphold what Michael Koppelman and Quinton Dealey, the two defense experts, said about Assange's mental condition, his Asperger's, for example, and that that makes one nine times more likely to commit suicide, etc. They accepted all that. They did sharply criticize Koppelman on this minor issue that the Americans brought up. They sided with them, uh, with the Americans, the high court did, on whether he should have revealed in his first report whether Stella Morris, Assange's lawyer and fiance, uh, had had children or not about their relationship. He'd hidden that because of safety concerns for Stella Morris and the children. And Baraitza accepted that, that even though Koppelman misled the court, she accepted that it was for humane reasons and understandable. Now, what were those threats to Morris and the children? They came from UC Global. UC Global, the Spanish security firm, a contractor of the Central Intelligence Agency. And I challenge anybody to look at that 27-page uh, ruling on Friday and find the word Central Intelligence Agency or CIA in there. It doesn't exist. And it was brought up not only at the extradition hearing in September 2020, the UC Global testimony of two, for a former partner and a former employee, but with a lot more detail in the October high court hearing. They allowed, for some reason, these two judges allowed the uh, Assange lawyers to talk about the Yahoo story that most people know about now, that the that this plot wasn't was fleshed out. What they'd heard in the extradition hearing the previous year was with many more details about how the CIA seriously considered kidnapping or assassinating Julian Assange and his lawyers, Assange's lawyers argued that he could not be sent to a country whose intelligence services had been seriously considering murdering him. This was all ignored. In fact, Mark Summers, Assange lawyer at the end told the high court judges, you ought to read this article. It's pretty interesting. If they read it, they probably did. They totally ignored it. The CIA is not mentioned at all in this, and it's crucial to this case. I just want to say, Chris, this is a very dark day, as you point out, for press freedom. 
And then really, the U.S. and Britain are acting like tin pot dictators, throwing any press critic into a dungeon. What is left of a democracy that's on life support anyway, if Assange is actually extradited to the United States? It's a very, very development today. Yeah, we'll get into that. I mean, essentially, it criminalizes uh, any investigative work, certainly into the centers of power. Uh, I spent 15 years at the New York Times. I had classified information leaked to me. I published it. That becomes a criminal offense. Uh, big papers like the Times are lawyered up. When we wrote an investigative piece, we had to meet with the lawyers before. Uh, and of course, what are the lawyers going to say now? If uh, Assange is extradited and this is held up, they're going to say, you and the paper can go to jail. I want to go back to the assurances because uh, they're not really assurances. When you read uh, what's in this ruling, they come with caveats, uh, escape clauses. They say that if uh, Julian commits an infraction, I teach in a prison, uh, they can throw infractions at you for phenomenally minor incidents and send you off to solitary. So if he commits any kind of an infraction, uh, these assurances are out the door. I also don't know, perhaps you do, what legal validity a diplomatic note has or what recourse the UK would have if it was violated. Can you address those issues? I'm not sure they have any recourse. I don't know under which, whether there are British or American laws that back this. This is a diplomatic note. It comes under, I would imagine, the rubric of international law. And having covered the United Nations as a correspondent for 25 years, I understand how international law is routinely ignored by the major powers, particularly, of course, the U.S., but also Britain. Give an example. The U.N. advisory body found that Assange was under arbitrary detention while he was still in the, in the embassy of Ecuador, and the Britain just decided they were going to ignore that. I don't know what this is worth uh, legally. As I said, uh, Amnesty International says that it's inherently unreliable. I don't think that there's a solid basis for diplomatic notes or assurances to be believed. And you're right, there are caveats. If he does something they don't like, if he commits some other offense, and that could just be about anything, uh, he could be then thrown into the Sams. So it's very tissue thin. But this court was so awful. I mean, at one point they said that uh, they rejected arguments that these were not reliable assurances as just, you know, rumblings of um, Internet research. This is the way they see this. They've zeroed in on these assurances. They didn't go anywhere near to, uh, talking about his mental health, whether he was really suicidal or not. They accepted three out of the five grounds of appeal. They didn't rule in favor of the U.S. on that. All they needed was one, the assurances. It's kind of flimsy. It's very disturbing. In a sense, superficial, because it just takes just that. Julian Assange can go to the United States because he won't go into Sam's. We continue our discussion about Julian Assange and the British High Court ruling to allow extradition with Joe Loria, editor-in-chief of Consortium News. So I want to talk a little bit about these conditions, SAMs. There are all sorts of ways around them. I found it interesting in the ruling, they kept talking about Florence, ADX Florence, Colorado, uh, as if there aren't other Guantanamo-like facilities uh, Daniel Hale, for example, who exposed the widespread civilian deaths in the drone program. He's held 
in a control management unit, a CMU, uh, which really isn't any different from the kinds of conditions you would find in Florence. So there are all sorts of ways around it to impose those conditions under another name. Absolutely. Um, I think it's Marietta in Ohio. Uh, I don't know how many, I think there's a, a, about a dozen prisons in the U.S. that could have SAMs. One of them is the Alexandria Detention Center. And there was, a, in, during the extradition hearing in September, there was a huge back and forth uh, over several hours of one day about whether, in fact, there was SAMs in ADC. People on the Assange uh, witness stand said that there were, and of course the Americans were trying to say there weren't. Another thing we should keep in mind is that the Central Intelligence Agency gets to decide a huge uh, part of whether or not a prisoner goes, a national security prisoner, as Assange is, would go to a SAMS or not. And that's another thing that never comes up about the Central Intelligence Agency's role in this. And there's a, another really uh, telling Part of the diplomatic note, it says in there, the Americans wrote that he wouldn't go to pretrial detention in ADX Colorado. And that is not a pretrial detention. Everyone knew that that's after conviction he would go there. He's going to be held in Alexandria. And yet that mistake, if that's what it is, or is it a sleight of hand so that they could say, look, you know, we never promised that he wouldn't go under special administrative measures in Alexandria because the document actually says pretrial in Colorado. And the defense team uh, in their documents uh, to the court pointed that out. That didn't come up. The judges never noticed it, didn't say anything about that. I'm not an expert on these special administrative measures, but I do know that you're right. There are different forms that it could take. Uh, I think isolation on its own is not Sam's so that he could be kept isolated. And that in itself has been uh, designated as torture after a certain number of days by human rights organizations. They could do what they want with him when they get back. The courts know that. The high court judges knew that, and they decided this anyway, uh, simply on a promise. It's quite extraordinary. There was a story last week by uh, Richard Medhurst in the UK. He found some classified documents showing that a case of Mendoza in Spain, that the U.S. lied. They absolutely lied. He proved it. And yet uh, the court dismisses that very case in this judgment of 27, that there was no problems with that. I mean, it's if you really uh, held them up to it, they would not be able to come up with the kind of statements that they do in this high court. And the case was made in the high court by the Assange lawyers. It failed. Now it's up to them to argue this again at the Supreme Court. But who has a lot of hope that this would happen? Uh, the sad part, Chris, I want to add is that Friday was the last day of the U.S. democracy, so-called democracy summit. It was the day in which two journalists were given the Nobel Peace Prize in Stockholm, one of whom, Maria Reza, is uh, on video saying that condemning Assange and saying that journalism must do what is good for national security. She actually says that. This is the kind of journalist that the national security state wants. These are the kind of journalists the national security state rewards. And Assange did the exact opposite. He fulfilled the supreme role of journalism, which is to hold powerful people to account when they commit horrendous crimes and corruption. And they're throwing him back into Belmarsh. He will not get probably get bail. And uh, if they don't win at the Supreme Court, he will wind up on the shores of the United States. And this marks a country no longer really democratic, 
they have to have summits in order to convince us, I think, that they're democratic. I want to run through quickly, Joe, the legal anomalies in this case. Number one, he's charged under the Espionage Act, although he is not a U.S. citizen and WikiLeaks is not a U.S.-based publication. He is granted political asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy. The embassy is sovereign territory of Ecuador. The British police, Theresa May, sends the police in to grab him, even though he has been granted political asylum, and he's dragged out. He is held in a high security prison uh, because of a violation of bail, which was caused when he fled to the embassy because of Sweden was trying to extradite him on trumped up charges that they later dropped as soon as uh, the UK had him in their hands. You had UC Global, which you mentioned before. This is the Spanish security firm that was working on behalf of the CIA and taping meetings with his attorneys. And this isn't conjecture. Those were leaked to papers like El País in Spain. Just over and over and over, this burlesque. And yet this ruling didn't address any of it. No, it did not. It did not. It's not a normal case. It's not a serious legal case. It is a purely political case. I don't think anyone could deny that just by what you just said. Now, as far as him being charged on the Espionage Act, even though he's not an American and he never operated on U.S. soil, there is an amendment 1961 to the Espionage Act that made it universal. Uh, it's a case of a uh, British, an American diplomat in Warsaw who took some uh, classified, who was found in bed with uh, another woman and his Polish Secret Service took pictures of him. They blackmailed him, but they couldn't get him under the Espionage Act because he'd left the U.S. Embassy to give the documents. So they put this amendment in. So it is universal. You could, Britain could have said, no, we don't, we don't recognize that. We, they could have rejected the extradition request. But of course they did not. Uh, as far as him being dragged out of the embassy, that, that is non-refoulement. I mean, the government, the British police could not enter without the permission of the Ecuador government. We know from that Yahoo story that the British government refused to go along with a U.S. plan to go in and try to kidnap him because they would not go in there. So they got the agreement of the Ecuador government to go in the embassy and arrest him, but it still violates the principle of non-refoulement. He, he was not a, really allowed as a, if he's under threat, to be sent back to a place where he was threatened. Um, so this is not a normal trial, Chris, and we can't really look at it that way. And I think that's our problem. We're trying to apply logic here and principles and the idea that he was spied on, his law. He, he was eavesdropped on by the country uh, that is prosecuting him, by their intelligence services. This is extraordinary. This would have been thrown out of any other case, but this is not any other case. It's not just an example they want to make of Assange. They want to stop him from doing the work. He's exposed their criminality, and any criminal gang is going to stop anyone who's exposing them. And let's be clear, uh, he's not accused of publishing anything that's false, uh, no. everything that he has put out. That's quite a record that neither you nor I, as longtime newspaper reporters, can say that we've never made a mistake pretty remarkable. Uh, and, and also the fact that he didn't hack in and, and get the documents. They were delivered to him by a source, uh, the, for the Iraqi war logs, of course, by Chelsea Manning. Uh, and this is how journalism works. It's how you and I work. Yes. How, however, they've been trying to build that case. If you go back to 2010, December, Vice President Joe Biden, meet the press. He's asked, are you going after Julian Assange? And he said, only if we can catch him red-handed having stolen or participating in the stealing of the documents. But if he's handed those documents, 
like any other journalist and publishers, and we can't do anything. And in fact, the Obama administration did not indict him under the Espionage Act, and they didn't get him on any kind of hacking charge. Now, fast forward to the Trump administration. They used this informant who had started under the Obama administration to lie. He admitted now he's lied as an FBI informant that Assange ordered hacking. So the hacking part of this, the so-called computer intrusion conspiracy charge is very, very key to this because without that, it just collapses because he's a journalist receiving documents, like you said, you did all the time. So they can't get him. And that's their out to tell the New York Times, hey, we're not going after you because this guy's a hacker. And I think a lot of people in the media, uh, corporate media, have bought that story. But that, that part of the case collapsed when Zygadorf Thordensen admitted uh, in an interview with an Icelandic magazine that he made it all up. <laughs> it's extraordinary. So that collapsed. And we put that in with the other things we were mentioning about how unusual this case is and how many illegalities there are and, and still persists. The fact that they don't have this hacking charge anymore. They do try to say that he helped Chelsea Manning break into a computer. That's a long involved story, but we heard testimony during the extradition hearing that there was no way that, first of all, that Chelsea already had security clearances for all those documents. The indictment itself says that. Second of all, most of the material, almost all the material she'd given to WikiLeaks had already been given to WikiLeaks before this incident. And uh, it was put forward by Assange's side that he simply was trying to help her break in under a different password to download music videos and and video games because it's not allowed to active service personnel. And she was saying, I mean, they don't have a very strong case on the computer side at all. It's rarely talked about, talk about the Espionage Act, but without the computer charge, they really can't get them on the Espionage Act alone. But the fact that they did, that the Espionage Act does not carve out an exception for journalists. It was never used before to indict a journalist for possession, unauthorized possession and publication until now. And that changed, in my opinion, the Espionage Act into an official secrets act, because in Britain, they very much have prosecuted journalists for publishing uh, uh, secret state secrets before. So this is the danger of this, the fact that the Espionage Act is being used and the Biden administration, when he was in the Obama administration, Biden refused to go along with this. Obama administration refused to go along with it. And now they are. Now they are. And I think it's simply pressure from the Democrats because of 2016, which has nothing to do with this case, and pressure from the intelligence agencies who must still be angry about Vault 7, which was the largest leak of CIA material, which was the impetus behind Pompeo trying to kill the guy. So I still think those are still operative against Biden. The fact is that this is so dangerous because, as you said at the top, a journalist being indicted and imprisoned for publishing changes the game completely, changes the whole thing. You cannot get up there and pretend and preach democracy to other nations when you do such a thing. Great. We're going to have to stop there. That was Joe Loria, editor-in-chief of Consortium News on the ruling in London on Friday that the U.S. can go ahead and pursue extradition of Julian Assange. That was a conversation between Chris Hedges and Joe Loria. Chris Hedges is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and author. He was a foreign correspondent for 15 years for the New York Times. He served as the Middle East and Balkan Bureau Chief for that paper. Hedges is the host of the Emmy Award-nominated RT America show On Contact. 
Joloria is editor-in-chief of Consortium News and a former UN correspondent for the Wall Street Journal, Boston Globe, and many other papers. He was an investigative reporter for the Sunday Times of London and began his professional work as a 19-year-old stringer for the New York Times. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, tucradio.org. Look at the newest programs or the podcast page. While you're there, you can subscribe to weekly free podcasts. Our email address is tuc at tucradio.org. My name is Maria Gelerden. Thank you for listening.